A few years ago, I made a denim care video with Mr. Porter. We recorded the voiceover instructions for the video at a professional studio in Brooklyn, and it was the first time I've ever done any sort of voiceover work. Things were not going well, and at one point Mr. Porter told me they were considering hiring a professional to narrate the video. At that point, I sort of begged for another chance to redo it, and ultimately, I was able to produce a passable version. Despite my poor voiceover work for that video, it now has over 2 million views. That experience taught me that packaging isn't always the most important thing. The ideas are what matter most. I'm putting together these podcasts completely on my own, with no formal training. I'm a one-man band with a goal to capture and share conversations with inspiring people. That's it. There are a lot of wonderful voices in the podcasting world, and I'm not trying to overtake any of them. My goal is to provoke ideas through genuine and unfiltered conversations with people who are meaningful to me. Writing ACL taught me about the power of long-lasting stories. I would conceive of something I wanted to write about, put a story together, and for one reason or another, I wouldn't publish it. It just sort of sat there. This became a sort of litmus test for a story. If something can sit on the shelf for a year and still feel relevant when I came back to it, that's the type of story I actually want to tell. I recorded this podcast pre-pandemic, but the ideas and stories seem just as relevant now as they were then. While a lot of things have changed since this conversation took place, a lot of it stands up. I hope you find this as interesting as I do. Here's my conversation with Mickey Drexler. Sitting in the Alex Mill showroom, uh, the new showroom, the new store at 70 Mercer Street, which looks awesome. Thank you. Congratulations. Um, so it's funny because we're, we're here and the first thing you do, like unprompted of anything, right, is start showing me the collection, right, and talking about product. You, you've just always been a product person, right? I mean, it's something that's inherent in you. Yeah, definitely product. And uh, the, part of the questioning uh, was uh, to get your opinion on something. Uh, and uh, I know what you do, and you've been in fashion your whole life, and used to have, I don't, do you still do the great shows uh, around? Or? Uh, the pop up flea? Yeah. We saw you in London doing right. one of the pop up fleas, which is just sort of happenstance, exactly. I think. Exactly. Um, we, we, we haven't done it in a few years, so my partner in that business, like he built a, a, with a couple partners this company called Bombas. They make socks. It's oh, like I a, of course. Yeah, direct-to-consumer yeah. business, and their right. business has gone crazy. And, yeah. and so Randy's been, you know, that's Randy Goldberg, and he's been doing that business a lot. So, like, right. we haven't done it. And I've been in L.A., so it's sort of a factor of, like, yeah. finding a space. But, um, yeah, I mean, we still do it, and, you know, I'm still obviously, like, in the fashion world because yeah. just I work with brands and cover it and am interested in it. Um, but it's interesting. It's, it's changed a lot. Like, and I think part of it is, you know, I think the the Instagram effect to me and, and you know, we were talking about just buying things on online um, and how I, just that experience is so different than buying things in a store. And I wonder, like, do you think that affects the way people think about product? Um, I, I do. Um, but, um, I, I think there's a whole different way of buying product today, um, but I, 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 I don't have an easy answer for that because I'm frankly surprised uh, with the lack of great product around today. And uh, I also think that online, uh, and we've, I always experience it here uh, over the last number of years, if you want to know something about a, a garment, online's going to tell you. Uh, much more than being in a physical store. That being said, I like both. I like to touch and mm -hmm. feel the quality of the goods, but frankly, uh, I don't see the same level of quality uh, for a reasonable value uh, over the years that I used to. So I'm always astounded how high-priced things are. I think it's it, people just price things now like based on their idea of what they should cost or this perceived luxury it seems like it's part of it well in in my and this is all my opinion uh, i think uh, the luxury companies just either take huge markups because they can mm -hmm. or most of them are double markup companies uh, and and uh, meaning you sell your own goods to the wholesalers or the retailers so they take you take your markup, they take their markup, and the consumer pays, to me, yeah. 
probably one, one and a half to two times higher for the same goods that some of us uh, sell. Uh, and, uh, and then the other side of it is uh, a lot of people today build in sale pricing. Mm -hmm. So getting a real price on goods today, and luxury is separate, but for the kind of the business, in the, the, most of the majority uh, of, of the business around the world is um, world or America is inflated goods, uh, totally inflated goods, uh, prepared to, to uh, take a markdown on. Before, if you wanted to be vertical or sell direct to consumer, right, you'd need to open a store. You'd have to have some way of distribution, uh, yeah, right? Hundred percent. Like now, you, can, yeah. you can't just sell to a department store. Um, but now, it's the way the internet is. There's much more opportunity to just, you know, it's a lot less expensive cost. Per, you know, it's not as cost prohibitive to open a store. You know, selling directly on the internet. So it's is that. Is that the rise of DTC? Like, do you see all these direct-to-consumer brands like existing because they can just? Well, the the irony for me personally is that direct-to-consumer has been around. Frankly, I I would say since Les Wexner did the limited, uh, we then did Gap, which we made. Well, it was direct-to-consumer. Uh, Brooks Brothers for probably two hundred years was direct-to-consumer. Yeah which influenced me uh, a lot, Brooks Brothers, in those days. That's another story. So all of a sudden, the last year or two or three or four or five, you know, the lemmings call it direct-to-consumer. If you really think about it, it's been around forever, or 40 years to me in this world is forever. Mm -hmm. uh, and now everyone says you direct-to-consumer. Well, we are direct-to-consumer. I done it since uh, my department store days why because of value honesty and pricing control of your product uh and so on and so forth so there's nothing new about it yeah it's sort of like the mattress factory <laughs> you know it's like redone for the modern day right that's yeah. like it's like an old idea that's sort of just getting respun in a way that's that's different yeah which is kind of interesting it's just to me it's like I don't think a lot of those brands, people that start direct to consumer businesses, I just don't think they think about the cost of marketing, right? And it's like acquiring those customers. You know, if you wholesale, like you're giving up margin so you can get, you know, get in front of people, right? Or like get their customer. Yeah. Or have well, them market giving for you. Up if you wholesale, uh, and we wholesale uh, now because we need a quantity to get goods made, we really have a very minimal margin on wholesale because I don't want. Uh, our wholesale clients uh, to influence the uh, value equation of, in this case, um, Alex Mill. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess that's the tricky part of launching a brand at this point. It's like you have to figure out, you know, how you want to structure it in terms of distribution and pricing because it impacts like the rest of the business, right? More so maybe than 10 years ago if you're launching a brand. You know, it would be a, maybe a simpler decision, simpler idea. Well, I, I remember when we launched Madewell, probably 12, 14 years ago, um, it launched only as a retail store. And I'll never forget, there was a person on our board and said, where's your online, where's your online? In hindsight, well, in hindsight, it's hard to say if she was right or not, because long term, made well and i'm haven't been involved in in two years or so mm -hmm. uh then when i left uh was enormously profitable and successful and growing like crazy uh, if you spent it online i'm not sure if you were an online company the same thing would have happened we opened stores the traditional way uh, i'll never forget our first two stores were a disaster <laughs> But oh yeah, I heard you talk about that. The first store was in uh, uh, Dallas, oh, Texas, Dallas. Um, in in the bad part of a great shopping mall. We just picked the wrong wing, and that's how important the real estate is. And the second store was in Las Vegas, again, not a good location in in an average shopping center. Uh, but you know, when you when you have a vision, uh, you don't let anything like that knock you down short term yeah although uh, as i was saying to peter yesterday if we didn't do made well at j crew and i thought about this for the first three or four years uh, the losses 
uh, were coming out of the value of the company. So if we lost 10 million a year and we had an X multiple in the marketplace, so if we were worth 2 billion, we were now worth a billion six or whatever the number is. But then it started to take off. Yeah, and and it just resonated with people, right? The brand, it's like the product mix, it was the right moment or, you know, what do you think it was about Madewell that made it? Well, you know, it's an interesting question. Uh, there are very few companies in the last 10 years that became really important as startups in the apparel business. Mm-hmm. When I say important, you know, they approach a billion, they, you know, and, and by the way, uh, it's volume I don't consider important. I consider the quality of the business, the quality of the earnings, uh, and satisfying the customers most important. But there are very few that... Uh, did that. I mean, today there's more startups in the world uh, and uh, be curious when the day comes when the startups will announce some earnings. But what did with Madewell? Uh, I'll kind of, I think um, I love the way the stores looked. Uh, we, we decided not to do men's after we were doing men's. And, uh, you know, the only thing for me that really inspired me and made well was to own the name. So uh, I bought the name before I joined J. Crew. A friend of mine, uh, Dave Mullen, who uh, has a great little store here, uh, I bought the name. and Because uh, it, it was a workwear brand, like a New England workwear brand. It was a 1937 workwear brand with, uh, I think, a spectacular logo. Is that something you do, though? Like, would you, if someone said, like, this IP is out there, like, you should grab it. Like, would, would, would do you, like, just speculate on stuff like that? Where you're like, oh, this could be interesting I, ne- down the line. never did it in my life. The, uh, the other th- name. <laughs> that worked I, out well, then, for yeah, you. Yeah, it worked out well. I mean, it worked out well. But, you know, when you go through this, it's never working out well till it really works out well. But the other name, because I like names, uh, uh, I like famous names, or in this case, it was a, n- a known name, uh, driving uh, when we were opening uh, Old Navy 25 years ago. I don't know if you know the story, but uh, driving to the airport uh, on the way uh, through Paris, and then there's a bar on Rue Saint-Germain called Old Navy. So... I said to uh, the person I was traveling with, I said, what a great name. <laughs> and so I wrote it down. Uh, I guess uh, I registered in America. No one owned it. It's That's very funny. hard to get a good name that yeah. is completely ownable. And, uh, but there was something about the name Old Navy, and even today, that resonates for me. Now, uh, the, the other part of the story is... Uh, uh, my board, etc., didn't like the name. And that's part of boards of directors, it's part of bureaucracy, it's part of committees, it's part of everything. We loved the name. There's a few of us, you know, and it's, it's always a few or more people. It's, it's never someone alone, yeah. but, well, I loved Madewell alone, and I loved Old Navy alone, but uh, we came back and we didn't have a name for this thing we were playing was with. Was there more scrutiny like at that point versus like launching Madewell at J. Crew? Like you could sort of make those decisions easier. Uh, yeah. Maybe TPG like doesn't want to weigh in on like that. Yeah. Well, at, at, uh, at Gap, there, I, I was a, a partner to Don Fisher, the founder. Uh, I was always scrutinized. You know, you have, uh, when you have uh, a, a, an owner ish, uh, you get scrutinized you kind of realize you're getting, you don't realize you're kind of getting like pinched or pinprick or whatever, but that's life uh, with a founder in a sense. Uh, so yeah, but I was, I think a pretty good partner to Don. Uh, but uh, so we took the name, had to go to two naming companies because he didn't like the name. <laughs> and uh, the naming company, someone sent me an email the other day, I worked with her 20 years ago. She said, I'm, I still laugh at forklift. That was the name, the naming company came up with why. <laughs> it was, it's because they thought it was like gonna be a person who drives a forklifts. And, and it, it was kind of crazy. Long story short, uh, you don't give up and we named it uh, after Gap Warehouse. It then became Gap Madewell, no, Madewell Gap Old Navy, and then it became Old Navy. And then the fastest company ever then until uh, Apple uh, did it to get to a billion dollars in apparel. It was Old Navy. 
yeah, old, amazing. Uh, was uh, Old Navy. Going back to the J Crew moment, you know when when Madewell was launching at that point too, J Crew was going great guns, right? Like great the, guns. Yeah, the business was like, yeah, was was crazy, and you know, so I have a connection to that too. And and when my website first launched, when when I launched ACL, sort of officially, the first partner advertiser I had was J Crew, and it was like the perfect fit for yeah. my audience at the time, my sort of interest and sort of what was happening at J Crew. It was interesting just speaking about the men's side of it. Like, and I've heard a little bit of the story from Todd Snyder and from some other people about how the third party brands sort of happened, like specifically about how Red Wing sort of ended up at J Crew. And, and the version I've heard of it from Todd is that he kind of was like, he, he sort of slipped it in at one point as he, I, as if I remember it correctly, I could be wrong about this, but he was sort of in the elevator with you or something and said like, we should bring this brand in. And I think you initially thought, oh, I don't know about Red Wing as a brand. And Todd was like, I think we should do it. And then sort of just like slipped it in somewhere and, and like the first stores like it happened but that was like the and it became really successful and and you were you know obviously like a big fan or big proponent of it internally right yeah I, is that I, correct or well is that wrong? I, I, in, in all due respect to my good friend todd <laughs> when he mentioned red uh yeah and that's why i'm here let's let's like well, set well, this he, story here's straight, the right? thing um i used to wear red wings and i bought them we used to have a home in martha's vineyard when i lived in san francisco we, we had a home there for a number of years, and there's Allie's General Store. I don't know if you've, you've been there. No, but it sounds like a place I'd like. Yeah, you'd, you'd love it. And I haven't been there in years. but And I used to buy Red Wings from Allie's General Store. So uh, when Todd mentioned it, I think I would have said, love the idea. <laughs> because right. I, I had uh, Red Wings. And, and especially in the General Store, it was a true general store go there every morning for your coffee for for then you bought newspapers and i just loved going there like you know i always like little coffee it wasn't even a coffee show. it was just a hangout uh of sorts so that's so i knew red wing well because i had a few pair so when he said it and he gets a lot of credit for the collaborations mm -hmm. for sure but i i think on red wing i would have said do it do it so how did that lead to the third party like how did that sort of that because that seemed like that was the first sort of outside brand yeah and, and did that like flip a switch with you and say like this is an interesting well you know you're, you're always connecting dots in 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 this business constantly so i hear today from two people the name of a sweater which i won't say because <laughs> we're going to look into it yesterday was the first time i ever heard of this sweater name Today, you bring up the name of the sweater fabric or whatever it is, I think it's a yarn, and it's been around for 50 years. And I go online, I look at the pictures, I love the colors, I like the fact that both of you guys know what it is. So you connect dots. Mm -hmm. And I think when, uh, when, and Todd was good at the brand thing, among other things, I was very sorry when he left, but mm -hmm. he went to start his own, uh, his own company. Uh, and uh, but I think in those days, and it's funny because I've had some fights here with collaborations and third parties. They, you know, it's like everything else. Lemmings in the world, everyone follows other people mm -hmm. to do something. And you know, we went. I I've been through that in, at Gap. It was kind of a crazy following. Of Gap was hot. It was this. It was that. Uh, and people were copying that. Or people now, who doesn't have a third-party collaboration? And I say to the team, third parties, conception, and in our case, it was uh, in good company, were goods that enhanced your, your own make and your own design. Goods that were not common out there. Mm -hmm. Goods that were special and unique. And, and that helps it also adds depth right to the brand but also helps the merchandising yeah. right like you walk in a store it's and maybe it's something you're not going to do 100 percent, well, right look, look, like in look. the case of alden or red wing yeah well we yeah we alden we did and you know great brand and and alden's funny because i had an emotional connection when i went to paris a lot uh in for ann taylor or wherever or you know, yeah, for wherever I went, there was a store called Fasten Knob. 
and Fasinab had a pair of wingtips. Well, their shoes were made by Alden. I don't know if it was in the label or not. In fact, now, how many years later? There we go. The same <laughs> shoe uh, from Alden. Uh, so I've probably been wearing this shoe for how many years? I don't know, a million years. Uh, and uh, so Alden meant a lot. And, and it was at the old English, in Paris it was that cool old English yeah. department store. It was at Fasinab, no more. And um, so, so they, they uh, reverberated in terms of special, rare-ish, unique. And today, every brand has a collaborator or 20 collaborations. Yeah. And yesterday I won't mention the competitor. So someone's suggesting a collaboration. And I said, you know who's collaborating with them? And I mentioned this one brand that I used to have something to do with. And I said, there's nothing special about collaborating with a brand that is, collabor is so over-collaborated, it doesn't bring you the same sense. But that was the beginning. It was really cool for a number of years. And today, it's like, okay, put me to sleep on most collaborations. <laughs> Let's talk about all, with that first conversation with Alden, just to go back, jump back to that for a second. Then I want to ask you about your personal style. But what was that first conversation with them like? Because I, I, from my understanding, Alden's sort of like this sleepy company, family, you know, very conservative family-run business that has, you know, done a good job of surviving in an era where it's hard to yeah. survive making goods in America. Yeah. Um, and w what was that? Do you remember that sort yeah, of I, I, I how remember, that went? Yeah, I remember a group of us visiting Alden, which is in, is it New Bedford? Where is it? It's, yeah, it's in, it's in, uh, it's in Massachusetts. Mass yeah, I don't know the exact oh, oh, because I've actually it, never been there. Oh, because ironically, um, uh, in Massachusetts is where a few of, you know, Alden there and who else? Oh, Madewell was from New, mm -hmm. New Bedford, Mass. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't in business anymore. And uh, we went through the, you know, I, I, for me, I have a great admiration for people, first of all, who own, start, own, and run their businesses for the long term. Mm -hmm. Not a lot around. It was that. Uh, so it's easier to do that as a family business too, right? Uh, like I was, I met with a guy yesterday that owns this like long fourth generation Italian business, and he was saying like we take a very long view and we can do that because we're a family business. Uh, we don't have any pressure. Yeah, I, I don't. Well, I think well, it they can go either pressures. way. You know, there's probably more lawsuits among family businesses there <laughs> than in any other category in the You're world. You're in a family business right now. So uh, you well, can I know, I you know, and and it's a different thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's a. It's different having your family in a business, and uh, and it's very complex. And and uh, uh, you know, I, I'm new at it, as is Alex, because he started the company six years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was a fan of Alex Mill 1.0 when it yeah. was just Alex and small shop. So uh, so we um, went to uh, Alden, visited three or four of us. Love the factory, fascinating to watch the shoes get made, uh, and. And it just connects you emotionally to a brand and to people. And I, I think for us, it was, uh, here I am, here we are, and I'm not a corporate guy coming in and what's the markup, what's this? I come in and say, love, 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 let's get started. I don't love to negotiate with family companies or whatever, and someone else will do that. We didn't have to negotiate, here's the price, please, I beg you to sell us, that's all. And nicely, uh, and they did. They respected our point of view. They respected what Jaku was doing with quality. Uh, they respected our Italian cashmere. Mm -hmm. They respected our shirts from uh, Thomas, Thomas Mason. Mason. I'm still wearing them. They each have a year. Yep, 2014. That's funny. But they res I But it's a matter of respect, and it's a matter of appreciation. It's a matter of liking the product. And so it was not, not a complicated thing at all. Yes, you know, they had some stores who would be upset. but like With the adjacencies or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. And they did a lot of business with J. Crew, right? Yeah, they, yeah, it was great. It was really, it was great. I, all my shoes are Alden. Uh, you know, I even have a tuxedo shoe from Alden, not that I wear it much. Uh, but, they, you know, just a lot of respect. So, so that's a good segue, though. 
I wanted to ask you, and this is one of the things, so my wife worked for you for a long time, and and one of the reasons I know you is because know you better than I would yeah. otherwise. It's because of my wife. Um, but she, we were talking about your uniform, right? And and she she wanted to, she wanted to know, and and we both were talking about it and thought when you know it's worth knowing. Like when did it come about? Like when did you when did you figure out like this is you're going to wear the same these shoes? Well, I never figured it out. And by the way, my uniform is now in the last three weeks changing, which is <laughs> this a, a is big funny, news. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. And you because see, you went to a golf club, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, which Lunch is, at a golf club, no <laughs> jeans and no athletic pants. And so there I am with a very old pair of J. Crew khakis in my closet. I wore them. Uh, and if you look in the store, it talks about the uniform. I don't know if you saw yeah, that. I saw it. Uh, for me, uh, I, I think there was a point I had a suit uniform, you know, when I had to wear suits in my early days. And then it's funny because we were owned by a company, Ann Taylor was owned by Alec, uh, Allied Stores. Big bureaucratic, they're no longer, you had to wear a suit. But in the closet, of my office on 57th and 3rd. Now think about going to San Bruno, California from 57th and 5th, I mean, 3 is 57th Street. So I had, a, I had my uniform in the, um, in the closet, but I, I think it's so just- So you would just wear your regular clothes and have a suit there well, I had in a case suit, you needed it? I, I, yeah, in other words, if uh, they said, oh, you know, you, corporate, whatever, so you, you change your regular clothes. Uh, and uh, and that was not, that was 1980 because they major bureaucracy, which I think most big companies are, but they're not as strict on the, on the clothing thing. I, I never thought about it other than I always found it easy to buy something you love that looks right. I always found it easiest for man classics that aren't dumb classics. I you know I don't know if this makes sense or not. You know the olden suede wingtip which i wear uh in fact i just as a favor they just made they discontinued this shoe mm-hmm. and i asked todd snyder i have as a favor i said todd i want to so i ordered five of them they made for me five pair i just don't want to ever worry about running out of those shoes <laughs> you know, it's like these eyeglasses yeah what are the eyeglasses well they're from salima andy spade designed them and salima made them and uh, I have the same situation. I wear them. I just ordered a whole bunch of them, and just to have them, just in case. But uh, but I and then I started buying my shirts at um, Ascot Chang uh, in 2000, about 15 years ago, and so that became my uniform. Same, same fit, same this, with a monogram, and Where's in the, the same. Well, the monogram's always in the same place. It's oh, like left, left, always there. lower left. Yeah. yeah. And uh, in fact, we're going to probably do something here with that, with monogramming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what is, I, I, so it's like you find something that's classic that you like. And the nice thing about all, like something like Alden, right, is, you know, if it's been around for a long time, it's obviously like retained yeah. its relevance throughout. I, look, I love old cars. They look better. Now, not that old clothes look better, but they kind of, you know, if you look at the designs of cars, 30, 40 years ago, they were beautiful. They were works of art. And today, I can't tell the difference between any of them. They all copy each other. Now, I don't know if there's a need for that, um, you know, in, in the world. Yeah. I don't think so. I think there could be more creative-looking automobiles. I heard in another interview that you've done that you went to a car maker and you're with the CEO or with the president and they took, basically you went on a tour and they didn't go into the design area. Oh yeah, at no, all. It, it was, uh, it, it was Ford Motor Company. A friend of mine was on the board. And then the second visit, another friend of mine had a relationship. So I went to the design area. The CEO didn't go. I said, okay, you know, I mean, he should have just even out of kind of courtesy walked down, but I spent about an hour there and, um, there's seven or eight designers on each car. That's like, what do they say, building a camel or something? You gotta have a vision. Every, every business, in my opinion, my opinion, needs a vision. So if you look at the clothes in this room, uh, the vision is very singular. Mm-hmm. Th- there's people who are involved in it, but the car, <laughs> you know, if you put it all together, none of it really made sense. And I said, in fact, the same guy, the CEO, 
before I was invited because I was in a meeting with him and he showed me uh, at that point a brand new Mustang model. And he said, what do you think? Actually, it was a lot of people there. I said, I hate the wheels. <laughs> and I said, I'd never buy a car where the wheels are ugly. I mean, this is not the most important thing in life, by the way. I just want to establish Do you ever feel that. bad saying something like that, giving your honest opinion? Or? Well, I, I think I can't help it. And, yeah. and what am I going to say? It's a beautiful car. Look, in this case, I would like to see some beautiful cars. And wheels, by the way, make good-looking cars look bad. Yeah. Bad wheels. You know, they speak. I know it's trivial, but it, it's just something for me. I wanted my life in order. I like that, and I like nice things. They're not important in life in that regard. Yeah. I, I, for, I know Jonathan Ward, the owner of Icon in California, and we, he had told me along the way that you had bought one or had owned an Icon at some point. And that's kind of an interesting you know, thought when you talk about you like the old cars because the Icons are sort of you know, old cars on the exterior and new cars you know, underneath, right? Right. Is that sort of like the perfect, I mean, do you still, do you still, no, own no, one? I'll tell you what happened. Yeah. Tell um, me the story. I, I was, uh, this is probably in the eighties. I don't know when I started. I met, he's an artist, uh, Jonathan. I love Jonathan. He's a wonderful guy. And when I was in LA, I visited his, um, factory, whatever it is, yeah. factory ish. And I was buying, uh, old, uh, Toyota Land, uh, I don't know if it's called Land Cruisers, you know, the really old. FJ40s, yeah. yeah, yeah. The really, and yeah. different models and uh, beautiful cars, beautiful colors. And um, so I had a small collection, and then he does the Icon. You know how quickly I returned that car? <laughs> Within one week. <laughs> really? Within one week. Why, what happened? It was like a new truck. It wasn't. Oh, you it, wanted like the old. I, I want, it didn't have the patina that an old car has. It didn't drive like an old car. Not that I love the way old cars drive, but you know, there's, it wasn't real. So yeah, I, re yeah. I returned it. That's I think funny. it was the fastest return. <laughs> no, so, so He was so, probably happy because he could sell it to yeah, someone else. And, like and then the irony, so then I sold the rest of the car. You know, old cars, I don't love the way they drive. Yeah, and you sold all your cars, right? I sold them all. Well, I first. What else did you have? Well, I collected first in California, a beautiful old Mercedes and Porsches. And they were beautiful. But I, I never liked driving them because they don't drive like new cars. I, it wasn't a smart move for me to sell them then. But I did. I just, yeah, the Porsche market has yeah. gone crazy, right? Yeah, so. yeah. And I just sold my last Porsche, by the way, because I was, it was a Carrera 19. My first California car, 1984, original everything. Amazing. And um, I sold it last summer. But anyway, did you sell it at auction or how no, did you no, sell it? No, 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 it wasn't. It was, no, I just sold it to a guy on Long Island <laughs> oh, really? who helped sell cars. Oh, cool. But um, but then so now <clears throat> I only I, I saved two cars. Again, this is I want. It's not the most important thing in the world. One was a color, a agate green, nineteen eighty nine Mercedes, and this is the importance of color. See, because like today we're looking at color, and there's certain colors here, and it was a agate green special order only because they said no one likes green cars but this agate and i think they changed the color because we looked it up yesterday this agate mercedes is all about the color it's the only reason or else i wouldn't have the car because people but you love at, the color and it's special and beautiful so you color it. and then the other car i i have and kept because i think it's the last well-designed bmw is the z8 from 2001 mm-hmm and ironically, by the way, uh, Johnny Ives from Apple bought my old cars, uh, the old uh, um, Toyotas. Oh, really? Not through me, but Johnny. How many did you have? I had about five or six. Really? And, and Johnny, I think, probably owns most of them wow, now. Wow, that's funny. Didn't, so, you, didn't you have a Defender, too? A, like, did you have Land Rovers, too? Or no, just No. No, never. Yeah. So, it's funny, though. That's that's. That's funny. They all ended up with him. Yeah. Just by coincidence. <laughs> by coincidence. Wow. Because he, you know, he was shopping for cars and. Yeah. So when going back to, I mean, talking, speaking of Apple and going back to the uniform, when when you would see Steve, like, do you remember him always wearing the same thing? Always. Always. Never not. Yeah. The black. Like all the time, even if he was, you know. He he once asked me, and I was so thrilled. He wanted to have uh, us make him some jeans. Let me see. Was I with? I was with Gap then. 
And he says, can you make me some custom jeans? I said, Steve, like my fantasy. But he never followed up on it. Because <laughs> he just wore his five. Same thing there. every day, yeah. same sneakers. It's easy. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think maybe your uniform is a little bit different than his. In, in a way, I think he, you sort of, I feel like I've evolved into a uniform in the same way that you did where you, you know, for me, it's Crockett and Jones are the shoes I love. I just oh, love isn't that I funny because that's my other shoe. Oh, really? The non- suede shoe of this is crockett and jones oh, really that funny. is funny which yeah. shoe the uh, pembroke the... i like the pembroke the, so i'm wearing the pembroke now right oh it's a wingtip yeah i think yeah. i i have the same shoe i just think the long wing yeah. the way Let the long see. wing goes back like crockett and jones pulls that wingtip down yeah. yeah like in the middle of the shoe yeah the way the long wing goes back it sort of did it gives me like uh i don't know it just doesn't feel as right yeah. and i just have always loved the shapes and obviously yeah. the make at crockett is wonderful yeah. great shoe and and my leather shoes if i wear this shoe in leather it's not old then it's crockett and jones that's great because the finish mm -hmm. i don't know what those little bumps are called mm -hmm. but i love them yeah the pebble grain right yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, I went up to the factory this in January to Crockett for the first cool. time. Yeah, yeah, it was it's it's a it's an interesting family yeah. business, and you know all the family is still involved. And uh, we sold them at, at J Crew. Oh, cool! They were part of our uh, in good company. Oh, cool! That's great. Yeah, that I mean Crockett and Jones is one of my favorite brands. But yeah. so I've I sort of along the way figured out like those are the shoes I like best. Yeah. Why do I need to keep looking for other 100%. shoes? Hundred percent. You know, and you sort of work off one item at a time, and eventually you're just wearing a uniform. But Steve, yeah. it seemed like he didn't want to think about it. He had the five hundred ones, which had many versions. He didn't want to think about it at all. I never saw him wearing anything else in sixteen years I was with him. Wow, that's funny. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so the other thing I want, the other question, or I have a couple more things I wrote down, a couple notes that I thought would be interesting. Going back to J. Crew a little bit and to my wife, um, we we wanted to ask you about the uh, the loudspeaker too. Like, how do the loud, like, do you have a loudspeaker here at Alex Mill? Well, uh, I feel like you could use one to say, you know, well, hey. Uh, well, in the office, I don't need one because there's 10 of us. This is yeah. not our office. Yeah, so we're in the showroom. Know, in the showroom of the store, we, we had extra space. How did it come about? Yeah, like what, you well, know, what uh, was the thought process? Well, it, you know, sometimes you don't think much about <laughs> things, you know. You know, a lot of life is like intuitive or I need help here. So I get to J Crew uh in January 27th, 2003, but who was counting or whatever. <laughs> and and J Crew was like really in bad shape. You know, financially it was Bad goods, too much. In you know, just no. It, it didn't really have much of a point of view at that no, point. No, nothing. And I used to so admire it uh, in the early '80s when Emily uh, did it. Uh, I just loved the style. And um, so I got there in 2003, and it was a mess. It was everything was on sale. You know, not unlike Gap. You get there, it's a mess. Whatever. J Crew was uh, just a, a horrible mess, uh, and. Um, my first day, I went to the CEO office. See, they had an office. And uh, I was there with the closed doors. I mean, so I opened the doors, and I'm thinking, I'm sitting here, and like, hello. You know, first day of new jobs is interesting, because I always start looking at the goods the first day. So, um, do you do like, is that like you get everyone together and do like you, you, you did those like town hall meetings, right? Yeah, where you yeah. would run through products. But the first day, in fact, I spoke to uh, Jan. Um, singer my friend and who's now the ceo of j crew i said to jan she says you know we chat and i'm still an owner yeah you own 10 percent or 10 percent but it ain't, it ain't worth a lot but um so i said uh edit the ugly <laughs> so the first day she said she writes it down she goes i love that i said start the first day looking at the goods that's what I do. I did it at Gap. I'll never forget. I did it at J. Crew. Yeah, I mean both places. Edit the ugly. Get rid of anything. It's kind of the wheels. Edit the wheels. Think about it. If a wheel makes a car not nice, uh, in apparel, uh, first of all, in apparel is a lot more to edit. Yeah. Because in a wheel, you can change the wheel if it's a decent car. So the first day I'm in this office with no one around. I mean they were around, but you know. And uh, the second, when I did edit the ugly, uh, and then went out to, we spent the whole day editing the ugly. And uh, I'm never surprised because, you know, stores are really public. You just walk through and there's no secrets. So I knew it was going to be a lot of editing. 
but I didn't realize how discounty online was. And you know, uh, Jake, uh, Jake, who was the first, you know, talking about direct to consumer, that catalog was spectacular, mm -hmm. 1980 or whatever. So then I'm learning there's a different assortment for catalog. That's all on sale all the time. So I was learning. I didn't know. Because when you take a new job like that, you're not doing uh, uh, R&D because someone's in the job. There's always someone in the job. So it's not like you're out there poking and seeing and feeling. So um, we edited The Ugly. And, and by the second day, you know, I'm making calls to people. The phone and this and that. And, you know, place ship's going down. No, uh, voicemail, Mr. So-and-so's office, Ms. So-and-so. I said, I need to get an answer now to myself. By the way, I feel the same thing today. Uh, I find that if, if the, the response rate, uh, in, for me maybe or whatever, has got to be instantaneous. Yeah. So, so I, I want to ask about that too. We'll, we'll finish the story so and then I'll ask So I you. just said... I can't deal with this. We had, I think we had two or three floors then. There's a lot of people. I mean, maybe it was at least two floors of lots of people. And I said, I need a pager system to myself. Who am I going to talk to? Hello? You know? And I said, I need to have an answer now. And I can't wait till the end of the day until someone sees it. And it's also, you know, retail is urgency. You know, everything... It's got to be done then, you know, uh, and it's urgency. It's not, you can't wait. So I put a loudspeaker system in. Did, and what what was people say? How did you like uh, break the ice on that the first day? Like, I don't remember. I, I think I said, <laughs> can I have your attention, please? <laughs> can I have your attention, please? I don't remember exactly, but it made life much easier. And then you, what would you do? How would you use the loudspeaker? Oh, I used that? it totally as a, as communication, uh, ideas, picking brains. I don't know if we open the shopping mall somewhere, I want to know who's from, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio. What do you think of this location? <laughs> oh, I that's saw funny. this jumpsuit come in. I, I want to show it to you. I had once a week uh, open office hours where I want to hear ideas. Most people aren't open or they're too nervous about that. Mm -hmm. But once a week, it was automatically come in and uh, tell me what you think. What can we do better? Uh, and I, some and would some people take advantage of that and come they in? They did, but I always found over time is not not enough people in a way because I I don't know if they believe when I say what could you do better. Mm -hmm. If I go into a store, what could we do better? I learn that way. Uh, and well, you know, from my experience too, I feel like you're always asking people, "What do you think?" Even I've like I'll communicate with you on something is years ago and you'll say, we're going to open a store in Georgetown. Like what's the best street, yeah. you know? And I'm like, Mickey's asking me, he must be asking like a lot of people. He's, you know, you're curious. And I feel like then you can work on connecting the dots. Well, you, you do work on it and, and it's, um, you know, I, I followed my, I didn't follow my instincts on our first pop-up store here. It was on green street. I didn't like it at all. And an influential, uh, friend and someone who cared, and I found out why later on he wanted us to open there, but it was too late. So we had like three people a day walk in the store. Of course, we're not known. Uh, and, uh, but I think Green, you know, so my office was on Green for 10 years, over 10 years. Green's weird. It doesn't get the traffic. No traffic. The other streets. But all the luxury stores are on Green. Yeah, you know, exactly. Because their destinations, I feel like and, it works And my friend was in the luxury price business. And the price, their average transaction could have been six or seven or eight hundred dollars mm -hmm. and hours was a hundred or whatever so you need you yeah. need that kind of volume and traffic but um well i want to go back to the okay. the instantaneous response thing so you you kind of you're kind of famous for and a lot of people have said to me you know i so i emailed mickey drexler out of the blue <laughs> and he emailed me back right away and then we sold you know this is how our brand ended up in j crew but you're kind of famous for this like immediate response email and you must yeah. be some subscriber to like inbox zero or something where there's like no you never have any standing this is so emails. weird someone last night told me about inbox zero <laughs> i'm and actually a, a firm believer of the opposite of inbox zero i don't know what it is it means like you have nothing in your inbox like you work through everything I like do. you always keep your inbox clean you respond to everything immediately yeah, so you, I, I try to but you know sometimes i mean it's do you funny. think there's value in that in every yeah no in like in what 
with email, like to me, email is like a to everyone else's to-do list, right? Yeah. And I sort of go through my email and respond to what I think is a priority. And then the other things, like if I get to them, I do. And if I don't, at the end of the year, I usually have a lot of emails that I just never got to. Interesting. And then I just, I just archive them and then really? start over because really? I, I just can't, you know, for me, it's like, I have to prioritize. Yeah. It's not about like being, not valuing someone's, you know, yeah. time or whatever, but uh, I'm curious, it, like how you manage it or like well, what you're, I, I'm, I think part of, uh, part of uh, someone who runs a business or, uh, and I usually, usually there's a little, we all have a little obsessiveness in us. Mm -hmm. I have it. I do not go to sleep at the end of the day without doing every single email text. Uh, and sometimes like last night I was going to sleep and I, I remembered that I didn't answer a text, an email from a woman named Kat Levin. And I wasn't sure how to, f but I was lucky I remembered her name. And I said it was about 10.30, I listened to the uh, debates, I was not feeling happy, uh, and so on and so forth. And I just said, I'm sorry Kat, I didn't get back to you today, because she gave me two hours today and two hours tomorrow, she wanted to have a conference call. I said, let's, I didn't have time today and tomorrow, but I said, uh, we'll do it next week. And that was my last email response of the day. So uh, I think it's a message to someone else, mm -hmm. always. And um, always a message. Yeah. And when people don't respond quickly, like he's an example. Peter. He sent an email. It ended up about a complaint. It ended up in spam. And and I had met him, and he says, he sends a follow-up saying, hello to whoever, and, it, and this was on Sunday or Saturday, it, and I, that kills me. And, oh, because you didn't see it. And, uh, and I, I don't know, oh, he sent it to me, or else I never would have gotten it. But I said, all these things help you. So we went to spam. First thing, Sunday someone did it. Um, Lori went to spam and found spam emails of people we ignored. I don't like people who don't return emails. Yeah, yeah. You know. So you don't like me. But I generally return emails. <laughs> no, you were fast, whatever. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty bad about email because I, I, I don't know, I just think for me it's like I'm trying to I don't know. I don't need to justify why yeah. I'm bad about email, but I think I'm not good at, you know, you know, it's interesting. I heard in another interview that you said you're, and you kind of mentioned it with Alden. You said, you're not a good negotiator. You had, I heard you talking about one of your, maybe your job with, um, at Bloomingdale's. Yeah. You'd said like when you got the job or you, you didn't do a good job of negotiating with them. Uh, oh, oh, uh, well for yourself, uh, oh, for, for your the salary. salary. Yeah. Well, Do you feel like you're not a good negotiator? Well, and that, you know, uh, well, it was A&S offered me 11000 a year. In 19, and what year is this? 1968. And you were saying in that interview, like, yeah, you're, I, you only operate in $1960. Yeah, right. Well, that's why I like things. That's why I'm always astounded at the prices of things. So yesterday at the meeting, we're looking at Chino as a category. And two people mentioned... Um, two brands, really terrific, the chinos are $350 each. I said, that, by, by the way, the reason I did Gap when I went there, uh, and Old Navy when we started it, is you should get respect. Part of respect is pricing. You shouldn't pay double markup because you're paying a department store or someone else to take their margin. Customer gets, in the end, not, not well. And I think, um, so yeah, I... Um, uh, I feel that, uh, so I look and I said, thank God, they're very expensive. And someone says, well, they're not so expensive to some people. I said to the world that I want to be in, they're very expensive. Yeah. And it, it's an incentive, but to... Um, Wait, but so back to your negotiating. Um, so when you negotiated the job, do you, I mean, it's not... You're, you know, everyone's not, the only reason I bring this up, right, it's not to say, like, look, I found something you're not good at. Right. You know, every, everyone's got strengths and weaknesses, yeah, right. right? But I think, like, it would make, you know, it makes me feel better, like, for you to say, I can't do this well, you know, I do all these other things well, oh, and this I, is something. Look, I don't do all these things well. Uh, I, I say, look, I, I factor, you know, it's like here, I'm here, and maybe because I work with my son who thinks I do all these things well. <laughs> and I said, Alex, I don't do this very well. 
I said, and I don't, I, I've never really run, well, the small business I ran was Ann Taylor when I got there, but I don't do How many everything stores well. was that? 25 stores. Uh, and the reason I took that job is a friend of mine, I kept saying no, he goes, take the job, better off running a 25 store business than a vice president of A&S or wherever I was and you working. Were the you were the CEO or you were uh, the president? And yeah, you, you were same. like in your late 30s at I this point. I was 35 right? when I took that 35. job. 35. So and, you're pretty young and, and, to be a I president. But I didn't negotiate a good deal. <laughs> no, <laughs> How come? Well, you know, I was so happy to have a job I might like. And it was never about the deal. When I moved to California, I did not negotiate the good deal. Don was enormously, uh, and maybe rightfully, generous uh, over the years. But my first deal was, <laughs> I think I told him the story. You know, like, uh, if I go crazy or whatever, I, uh, I I could get fired for some of the things I said to him. And then I called my wife and said, I said, I don't know what to do. I think I'm going to get fired tomorrow morning, and we don't have any money. And that, 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 that. I was 39 years old. I was you know, working. But don't you, two things there to me. I feel like if you're in that situation where you're afraid to get fired, maybe you, you can't, you're self-made, you, you don't come from much, right? And you have no sort of backup plan, like no safety net. Right. It's better for you professionally because it pushes you in a way that you wouldn't normally be pushed. Uh, better to have no money and worry for sure. Yeah. like <laughs> No, but I think, you know, I talked to, yeah. I've talked to a lot of people that said, you know, I was this successful because I, you know, came from very little and it, and it, and it drove me. Well, I, I think, you know, it's an interesting conversation. And I think, uh, you know, I always say to someone, tell me about your childhood. Tell me when you were very young. I heard a story the other day about my childhood. It so depressed me. It was from my cousin. And because I'm involved in this project, mm -hmm. I'm listening to this. And I'm saying, oh my God, did I go through that? Of course it influenced me. I had a f father who was extremely unhappy about his life or his lack of success. You wake up every day to that. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you connect the dots when you're 10 years old. But when I was five years old, I could feel it. Or 10 or 15. And he was always working and... And, and, and the wake-up call for me, talking about negotiating, is I once took the payroll. I worked in the place where he worked, a junior coat manufacturer. So I took in the, the garment center? Yeah. yeah. I, took, I used to always have to work there because he wanted me to work. It was okay. That you were part. like constricted. That's kind of how yeah, I grew yeah. up. My dad forced me to work. Yeah, he for forced him. me to work. He didn't want me to sleep late. But he wasn't warm and nice and fuzzy about it. He was not, not a great guy. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I took the payroll to the bank. It was a Friday. I went through the whole payroll and I was stunned and so upset that he was paid probably the bottom 10% or whatever. He talked top 50% and I, I'll never forget that day wow. in my life. Uh, I'll never forget it. And I said, oh my God, I felt so badly for him and probably for me. Did that drive me? It was part of it. Did his wanting to have a house his whole life drive me? It was probably part of it. Uh, so, but it's not necessarily something that it do, it's not something you wish for someone, right? It's it's much. It may be a benefit in some ways of your life, right? It might have pushed you in a way that you wouldn't have been otherwise driven. Well, the, but, but yeah, your the, drive is your drive, right? The, it's the, like what <laughs> motivates you motivates well, you. Well, but but I spent years and I, I had a school I had school phobia, uh, and. Uh, so I never really liked school. I was very insecure. I went to Bronx Science feeling I was like the dumbest guy in the class. And, you know, because there was so many genes. Very intimidating. So uh, the drive, but I always worked hard. Mm -hmm. Did I, you like fashion? Because it's, to me, I was drawn to the apparel business and to fashion in one sense because I wasn't very good at school. But I saw there was this, if you come to fashion and you get it, there's no denying you. Like people would say like, you get it. You can be successful if you understand style or trends or how the business works, right? Like you don't need to be an MBA. You, know, oh, to be you definitely to do don't need to be an MBA. Yeah. I mean, being an MBA yeah. doesn't help that. I don't think it helps you anywhere, but that's my personal opinion because I'm not a finance guy. I don't, yeah. you know, I, I, I never wanted to be in a company where credentials matter. Mm -hmm. Although they do matter on resume. Oh, he went to wherever. And I wanted to, in my fantasies, maybe go to wherever. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I think the drive comes from 
uh, I, it wasn't that I had, I just, maybe I had a blessing on picking goods. Well, that, so I, in with the interview I'm referring to was the business of fashion oh, podcast yeah. you did with right. Lauren, which was wonderful. Um, you talked about, this was the most striking thing to me. You talked about being at Bloomingdale's one of your first jobs and knowing exactly the products and vendors that were successful for you at that moment. Right. Like you still remember, of course, this every, is like you did this interview this every year. second. Look, I was at Bloomingdale's. But so that to me says that you just, you're so focused on like, you're just such a good merchant in a way that like it can't be taught. It's just inherent in you. I, I think it is. I, um, I never thought about that. And, and if, I, I, even to this day, it's not like, you, you know, I watched Steve Jobs for 16 years, and I'm saying, Steve, do you know how good you are in this business? I guess he did-ish, but what made him most happy was, I'll never forget the two days he was most happy, was beating um, the, the uh, capital value of Dell, because uh, uh, Michael Dell once said, there's no reason for Apple. And the day he beat Microsoft in value, two happiest days I've ever seen Steve. Wow. You know, those are amazing days in his life. But so he's obviously, I mean, it's its obvious that he's very, very competitive, right? I, I think, yeah, I think you have to be. Yeah. And if you're not, and, and people, look, I'm very competitive, I think, but I um, I, I hope I do it in a nice way. I, I mean, I really, I, I hope people, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to say he's the most, because I, I hope I don't it's, think there's, you know, I don't think they're, you know, it's mutually exclusive, right? I think you could be competitive and be a good guy. Yeah. I mean, I think you make a lot of people's days just by responding to emails, right? Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. You know, and I think a lot of people say that it's, yeah. you know, it makes you, it's, it, you know, in a sense it makes you very approachable. I'll tell you what it is. It's respect. It's total respect. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I think that if you don't answer me, it's rude. <laughs> Now, no offense to you. No, no, okay? I'm a, no you, I don't you, want no offense to you. I mostly answer everyone. It's just certain things but, I but, can't. But I know. feel. Anyway, uh, but I'm I'm very sensitive. Not to backtrack. To how that. people, uh, very sensitive about that. I want to be liked, and I want to answer people. Every customer, I want to answer and let them know. Are they just shocked when they hear back from you? Well, I think a lot of them are. Here, I'm trying to teach some Sack and Alex. Put your name on every email. It's a startup. We don't we don't do a lot of business. Uh, they're not, the, 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 people don't sometimes understand that. And I am no better than anyone else. I might, uh, so I was blessed with maybe picking goods the right way. Uh, or, or knowing how to build a business. Well, but you, I did it. Look, I went to Ann Taylor. I was 35. I, I came from being a merchandiser at A&S, which is not a fashion company. So I, I don't know what causes it, but learning... It's not even, it's following your instincts to building a business. It seems to me always natural and logical. Uh, I wasn't a business student. Uh, I wasn't a finance person. I was a person who liked nice merchandise. Mm -hmm. I liked it. And creative, you know, you, you, your creativity never rests for a second. You know, it's like a full-time commitment is being creative. So I can't help it. So I'm going to leave this meeting with a few ideas that, you know. And this is why you can't play golf, right? Because you're right, just well, golf. <laughs> the creativity. No, I mean, you're not into it. You didn't want to like stop. Well, the truth is I was trying too hard to, <laughs> at my stage. I, I'll never forget. I went out there trying to be good. You can't be good if you start. And I went out alone and I'm swinging as hard as I can <laughs> at the ball. And I ended up in a physical therapy for two weeks oh, no. in my back because you play, you're a major golfer. Yeah, I'm into and golf. And when you yeah. go like this and you miss the ball, <laughs> I missed the ball three times, Didn't like swinging 100 miles an hour. I think that did it on my back. And I said, this is stupid. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think I'm going to try it again anyway. So. You're going you're gonna to try it again? Yeah, right. Maybe, so, you know, see. I think if I went back, I think about when I learned to play golf, if I went back and had to redo it, I would never do it at mm -hmm. this point. Like, I think knowing sort of like the most fun you never want to have again. Yeah, know? but it, it's, look, if you do something well, see, my problem is I grew up with Bronx sports, bowling, <laughs> stickball, curveball, and softball. I was really, I was really good at it, I think. And then I grow older, and all of a sudden it's tennis, it's skiing, it's this and that, which I never did. Yeah. You know. That's kind of how I am, too. Yeah. But anyway, thank you for taking the time to talk oh, to cool. me. This was Fun. wonderful. Great to yeah. see you. Okay. Good to see you, too.